Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is the Ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism, where I've been the executive director for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more about what we're doing around the world, go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org. The other ministry is the Ministry of Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, where I'm the Bible teacher, and this is the word we feed on. Let's introduce our message the exact same way that we did in our last broadcast. We're thinking about our experience of salvation from sin and unto eternal life. We're learning about the awakening work of God on the heart and soul of a person. Our disposition, apart from the work of the Spirit upon us and in us, is one of antagonism to spiritual truth. If you have come to Christ to be set free, it happened because, on top of the work of God to draw you by His goodness to Himself, there came a day when God woke you up to Him. This should be your testimony. And when you woke up, you discovered a desperation for Him that caused you to respond to His call. So the deaf man and the mute man and the lame man could all give a recount of the actions that followed and proceeded from this moment in which their ears were opened up, in which their limbs were alive, in which their tongue was opened up, and all these things would be accurate and true, but these actions all came as the result of a prior action that took place, something that Christ did. They could speak to what they did, but they could not speak to what they did apart from what Christ did. They only reveal a prior work that made it possible for them to be walking and talking and hearing and seeing. See? It is how it works in our life. Here's what happens. Truth comes to us. This is how I came to Christ. Truth comes to us. It passes through the canals of our ears, and it can be even measured in the impulses of information that are gathered into our brain. And we could, if there are a way to measure it, you could measure the mental capacity and measure in which all that data and information was being received. Do you know, before I came to Christ, I actually had read through the Bible in its entirety. I had been a good little boy who grew up in church and listened to Sunday school classes and listened to my father preaching and listened to my mother's teaching and was instructed from the time that I was a young boy in the way of faith, and yet I I wasn't saved. But you could track all that stuff and all that information. But then one day, maybe reading a passage of Scripture, maybe you overheard a statement that somebody else was saying. You caught the wind of some word that came through. Your thought captured an idea. And God used it to strike to the core of your heart. And it demanded an answer from you. And you couldn't resist its claim. And in that moment you bowed and you confessed your need of God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's grace. And you laid hold of Christ as your only hope of salvation. And at that moment you were granted new life. How odd. What happened there? Was this the first time that God provided a remedy for you? Was this the first time that some messenger came along announcing the remedy of God's salvation your way? No, no. Was this the first time that God in loving kindness sought to draw you to Himself? Not likely. Is this the first time that you ever had some notion or idea of the suffering of Christ upon the cross, drawing all men to Himself? Not for me. Not for most of you. Is this the first time in your life that you were ever really convicted of sin or conscious of your lack of righteousness or fearful of judgment? Not even that. That happened before, multiple times, over and over again. But in one moment, something took place 
in which everything congealed and maybe a little word. The other day I was reading the story of the conversion of John Bunyan. John Bunyan had decided to be a good man. It started out that he had a woman who he knew to be a particularly even woman in his own community who said that he was the wickedest man she ever knew. And that really, really bothered him. If this wicked woman thought he was the wickedest man, how wicked must he be? And so he began to engage in reforming his life to where people thought he was one of the best Christian men in his own community, but he wasn't saved. He was just trying hard to be a good person, maybe like me when I was a young boy, reading my Bible and doing all these things. And then he was walking into another community without any sense of comfort and peace and being right and just before God. And he was walking into another community and he was standing, conducting some business or preparing to conduct some business. He overheard a group of housewives talking in their doorways about how God had graciously forgiven them and brought them into a saving relationship with him. And he knew what they said was true and he caught a little bit of their conversation on the wind. And it's all that God needed to do to turn him into complete and utter faith and trust in Jesus Christ for his salvation and not his good works. Not even being able to say, well, at least now I'm not the wickedest man in my community. But that I've been made right through faith in Jesus Christ. But was that the first time that God had been at work in his life? No, God had been at work all along, but there was the moment. Well, what happened? What took place? What happened so that this ignorant, inert, antagonistic, blind, dead person could answer to the gospel and respond in believing faith? Well, the answer comes to us in Acts chapter 16, verse 14 that we read. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Somehow, in a moment, and in a flash, God opened the inner eyes of this woman and the spiritual ears of this woman and the inner eyes of this man and the spiritual ears of this man and the spiritual receptors of this woman to hear and to see and receive the gospel, the good news that Paul wanted to make known to her. And in a mystery, she heard it and she heeded it and she couldn't account it to anything that was in her because the history of her life was the life of a person who was ignorant and inert and antagonistic and blind and dead. God did something. It was an utter mystery. Now, she still had work to do. She still had to repent and she still had to believe, but now all the things were coming alive to her and all the necessities were coming before her purview and she was able to give the right response. It was as if the circuit for spiritual life were all put in place now so that there was a circuit for her to respond to. And then she opened her heart to the Lord Jesus. But first, before she could open her heart to the Lord Jesus, God had to open her ears to listen, her heart to listen and to obey His word to repent and believe. Theologians have looked at this and they've called this the effectual calling of God. Somehow God speaks so strongly and powerfully that there's this effectual calling of God. Others have called it God's awakening. He awakens us and we can't take credit for it. This is something beyond His seeking a remedy and drawing us and even convicting us. This is like Him laying out the fuse for us, but then He lights the fuse. He awakens us. Some individuals have looked at this and they've gone so far as to say that this is regeneration itself. 
that this person actually had to have been saved by God and given a new nature by God in order for him to hear God and respond to God and repent of his sins and believe in God. And so this has to be what happens. God actually regenerates men. He gives them new life before they even have faith in them. That's how they explain it. Now listen, I understand the logic of how they get there. How does a ignorant, inert, antagonistic, blind, dead person hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ unless he's given a new nature? They have to be regenerate first. That's the answer. Well, I understand the logic, but... The problem with that argument is that they have a difficult time giving us a chapter and verse from the Bible to explain it. It's not there if you go through the Scriptures. All Scripture is very clear that salvation follows repentance and faith. It doesn't come before it. In fact, let's look at this story. We have the story of Lydia who believes and heeds the gospel, but just after that we have the story of the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer has God working upon him. God is laying a groundwork to bring a witness to him. The Philippian jailer has Paul and Silas brought into his prison, brought into the center of his prison. The center of the prison was also the place, the nearest place where the jailer lived himself. It's where he could keep his eye on those individuals who were to be secured and kept safe. In that prison, he likely hears them singing their songs of praise. He would have Witness the manner and testimony of their very lives when beaten by rods and bloodied, they were brought in and he put them in their stocks. He hears their songs of rejoicing. Everyone else in the prison hears the songs of rejoicing as well. An earthquake takes place. The doors to the prison spring open. The chains are all loosed. The jailer rushes to the prison and sees all the doors opened up. He sees all the stocks loosed. He thinks all of his prisoners have run away. And then he realizes, if they've all run away, I am held accountable for their life. So he goes to take himself, to kill himself. And at that very moment, Paul cries out and says, don't kill yourself, don't hurt yourself. Everybody has run into the inner room of the prison. They're here with us. They're all secure, they're all safe, no one has fled. Something in that moment, some thought, some idea, some conception at that moment of the power of God and the grace of God and the preserving work of God struck the heart and mind of that jailer. But not exactly what it was, but it was an awakening. And he rushed in. And he fell before Paul and Silas and said, Brothers, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, he didn't need to be saved from the earthquake. It had already taken place. He survived it. He needed to be saved from his sin. He needed to be saved from the wrath of the just and holy God that these men worshipped. What must I do to be saved? And their answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You see the order? You see the order? Salvation follows this belief. If you didn't have a theological battle to fight and you came to John chapter 1 verses 11 and 13, you could see very clearly the order here. There it says he came, speaking of Jesus Christ unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believed in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There it is. New birth. When did it come? Following their reception of Jesus Christ. Following their belief in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. So, this awakening that we're talking about is not regeneration. But it is something of God that is far beyond what any man or any woman can do for themselves. And far beyond what we can do for any man or any woman. 
I can't affect your awakening. I can't affect this moment in which your heart is opened up to these truths. This is something more than divine drawing and something more than divine conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is not God simply seeking a remedy. No, this is, this is an awakening of a dead heart to living truths. This is the opening of a heart sealed in sin to the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. This is opening blind eyes. This is causing deaf ears to hear. This is stirring up an antagonistic, paralyzed will to take hold of God's word and the gospel of life and obey it and receive it. Whatever it is, it's God's work, not mine. Praise God. He did it for me. I can give witness to the moment. I can't explain it. I can't explain why it happened in my life and not another person's life. I can tell you this. It's not because I grew up in the pastor's house. There's plenty of young men who have grown up in the pastor's houses that have gone in a different direction. And it's certainly not because I was more morally superior than they. God did something. What's the application of this? What well, means that our understanding of evangelism Bringing this good news to other individuals needs to ultimately rest on an utter dependency upon God to do what only God can do. It means that we can't trust in some kind of system or some kind of methodology, but that we must ultimately find ourselves relying upon God and interceding for God to work in the lives of blind and dead individuals so that they might reckon with the words of the gospel that He's called us to preach. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about our work abroad or at home, or to get a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.